And Mary responded to his call. And I love that. He's calling for you. And she quickly arose and went out to meet him. As Mary came to where Jesus was, those who followed her, they didn't understand what Mary was actually doing. And here's the beauty of this. I think it's a beautiful picture of those who respond to the call of Jesus often bring others into the presence of Jesus. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, we're going to pick up in verses 9 through 26 today. This is a long chapter, 50 verses, and I'm not going to try to knock it out in one week or two weeks. We're actually going to get into three weeks on this chapter. But we'll look at 9 through 26 today, and we're going to see today a message that I entitled, The Hour Had Come, the triumphal entry, verses 12 through 19, very familiar to us. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So here the triumphal entry, very familiar to us. As I said, we condense the remainder of the Gospel of John, and it has 21 chapters in it. We're currently in chapter 12. We condense that story around Easter into just one week's celebration, reminding us of the great work that Jesus did there for us on the cross. I'm glad that we get an opportunity to slow things down as we look at these events. Now it's the next day. Now it's five days before Passover. And so we get to kind of count down the days here as well. It's the Gospel of Mark that we can get this countdown the best. But now we know that it is the 
triumphal entry. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey and the people are crying out a portion of the Hillel Psalms. They're crying out from Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Hillel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, were psalms that were used during the Passover celebration. And they were psalms to express thanksgiving, praise, and petition to God. And they were crying out, as it says in our text, Hosanna. It is a Hebrew word that means save us now. And they chanted these psalms in fulfillment of prophecy without realizing who Jesus actually was. Jesus was riding in to Jerusalem on this donkey's colt. And that also was a fulfillment of scripture from Zechariah 9.9. And I put this in our bulletin today as well. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. In verses 17 and 18, the people bore witness. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. We already learned that Lazarus is this living, walking testimony. But now the people who were present when they saw him come out of the grave, they're also sharing about what they had seen. And as a result of their sharing, other people are coming to see Jesus and to see Lazarus as well. It tells us that we don't have to have what some might deem this uh, raised from the dead testimony. As a Calvary Chapel pastor, there's a lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors had come from some pretty horrific backgrounds. They have some pretty severe testimonies of how God had redeemed them. Not every Calvary pastor has such a testimony. In fact, I have changed my opinion on those testimonies. See, we like the Gore story, the a story of how I was really, 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 really bad. And this is what Jesus did. We get sucked into those stories. This is how Jesus redeemed me. I've changed my opinion, thinking the better testimony is the individual that was raised to know Jesus from a child, never drifted away, always walked with the Lord. And I think that's the greater story. As a believer in Jesus Christ, do you really want the story that I walked away from Jesus? Or do you want the story that I've stayed close my whole life? I'm the wandering sheep. No, I'm the one that, I'm the 99 that hung out with Jesus the whole time. That's the story I want for my children. Although I have a child that has the other story. I want the one that, you know, that story that you've stayed close. But here we find that it wasn't Lazarus who was testifying, but it was the people who had bore witness. And so we can do that. It may not be our story, but we can share the story of what Jesus has done in other people's lives and still be an effective witness to cause people to come and to meet Jesus. 
You know, we may not have all the training that we feel that we should have to share our faith, but we can each tell what Jesus has done for us in our lives. We can be like John Newton, who the author of Amazing Grace, who wrote, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. The testimony can be as simple as that. It can be like the blind man in John 9, 25, who gained sight through Jesus, who said whether he is a sinner or not, talking about Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. We can testify what Jesus had done for us in our lives to others. And when we testify, the focus isn't really supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about Jesus. In Psalm 145, verses 6 and 7, it tells us, Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The focus isn't supposed to be upon us. It's supposed to be upon Jesus. You're telling other people what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus can do for them as well. Well, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, verse 19, they didn't like what they were seeing. In fact, they said to each other, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They were infuriated that the people came to see Jesus. The religious rulers at that time, through all their lies, through all their attacks against Jesus, it had not slowed the growth of those who believed that he was the Messiah. In fact, they said the world has gone after him. They feared, as we learned last week, that the Rome would come and take away their place and their nation. In John eleven forty seven and 48, they said, if we left him alone, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. What they did not understand is because the religious rulers did not receive Christ in AD 70, Rome did come, take away their place and their nation. But it wasn't because they believed in Jesus. It was because they rejected Jesus. The same thing took place for the apostles in Acts 17.6. It tells us that Peter, John, Paul, many others bearing witness of Jesus Christ in Acts 17.6, they drug Jason out of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They saw the witness of the church, of the apostles, Peter, John, Paul, Barnabas, Mark, Timothy, Titus. They had saw these men coming and the women who were testifying as well as turning the world upside down, but in reality, they were turning the world right side up in regards to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's something our world so desperately needs. Oh, that the world would go after Jesus in life-saving faith. We close out in the third point, verses 20 through 26, Jesus is our. Now there was a certain Greeks among them who when they came up to the feast to worship there, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For everyone who serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servants will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So the Greeks were there at the feast. These Greeks would be considered God-fearers. These are men and women who believed in the God of the Hebrews, that God created the heavens and the earth, that they were not Jewish, but they came to worship the God of Israel. Perhaps a good description of a God-fearer is found in Acts 10, verses 1 and 2, that of Cornelius. It tells us that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment. And here's the description of this God-fearer. Verse 2, Acts 10. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He did four things. He was devout. He feared God. He gave to the people, to the Jewish people is what they were referring to there. And he prayed to God always. He was a God-fearer. In Cornelius's case, God sent Peter to declare the gospel. And I love this, that while Peter was preaching the message, in Acts 10, 43 and 45, it tells us he was preaching, saying to him, all the prophets witness that through Jesus's name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And while Peter was still Speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them who heard the word. Peter didn't even give an invitation. He was just sharing the gospel. And as he was sharing the gospel, the people were believing and receiving the empowering of the Holy Spirit. These God-fearers, having believed in God, they received Jesus. They were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And thus they began their journey of growing in their faith that they might go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You catch that? Believe, receive, grow, and go. Pretty good, huh? That's what we need to be doing. We have to believe in God, but we also need to receive Jesus as our Savior, that we might grow in our faith and go and share the gospel with others. It could be that the Greeks came to Philip because his name was actually a Greek name. His name meant lover of horses. Apparently his folks liked horses a lot. But he didn't know what to do, so he went to Andrew. And the Bible tells us that Andrew and Philip then went to Jesus. The interesting thing about Andrew, every time we read about Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew first brought his brother Peter to Jesus in John chapter 1. In John 6, it's Andrew who brought the little boy with five loaves and two small fish to Jesus. And here it's Andrew along with Philip who come to Jesus about this concern with the Greeks. Now John is silent whether Jesus addressed the Greeks or not. In fact, it appears that he didn't, but we don't know of any interaction as Jesus began to teach at this point. 
where he said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So just after the Greeks had sought Jesus, Jesus began to speak about his hour and his glorification. It's interesting that all four Gospels speak about the hour of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this hour, but John, he weaves the story of the hour of Jesus throughout his gospel. We first read about it in John chapter 2, where Jesus said, my hour is not yet come, but 10 times his hour will be mentioned. It'll either say my hour or my time has not yet come, or his hour or his time has not yet come. And then we get to John 12, 23, and there is a change. The hour has come. Here was the time of his glorification. Jesus was on a God-ordained timetable that was leading him to the cross, and he did not want anyone to interrupt or circumvent his mission. But now that hour had come. Jesus went on to say that, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So Lily and I were in Indiana at a Amish uh, town, really, at that time, and they were selling their wares, and they were having an auction and everything. It was kind of cool to see all the horse and buggies and hear the auction, and I bought some popcorn there. And I asked the foolish question to this Amish man. Is this corn for popping or is it for planting? He says, if you plant it, it will grow. It's for both. Depends on what you want to do with it. Made great popcorn, but I could also plant it and grow my own corn. As long as that seed remained in the bag that he had it in, it would stay a seed. We may even still have some in our house. I think we used it all, though. It's not until it's planted and dies that it brings forth. Now, I was thinking about that, the wheat being planted. My thought was, well, one little grain of wheat, how much wheat comes out of that? And so I looked it up. One seed from the wheat, when grown to maturity, produces five heads. On every head, there's an average of 22 kernels which means from one seed, you have a potential of 110 new kernels. If you were allowed to plant the 110, that means you would have 12,100 seeds. If you take those 12,100 seeds, plant them in the ground, you'd suddenly have 146,410,000 seeds. If you took the one, no, I'm not gonna go any further. You can see the number could keep going, and it's really quick, isn't it? I just multiplied three times. I went from 1 to 110 to 12,100 to 146,410,000 seeds. My calculator didn't even go that high. I had to look that one up on the computer because it didn't have enough room for all the numbers. Multiplication can go quick. Jesus is talking about himself here. He is the grain of seed that would die. Once placed in the ground, he would come forth through his resurrection and bring forth innumerable fruit. Hebrews 2 verses 9 and 10 says, We see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, 
crowned with glory and honor, that he, by grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The captain of our salvation is Jesus Christ. But we close out verses 25 and 26. I already had somebody trip up on this hate, serve, and follow. And maybe you saw that in my notes thinking, wait a minute, Pastor John, we're Christians, we're not supposed to hate. But it's what Jesus instructed us to do here. He says, verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servants will also be. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to hate, serve, and follow. The hate is to hate the sinful condition of our own lives. If you love your life in this world, meaning apart from Christ, then you're not in fellowship with God. We need to hate the sinful condition of our lives that we might come into fellowship with the Lord. Jesus said it this way, maybe a little easier to understand in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You try to have success in this world, and it's not wrong to strive to do well in this world, but where's your priority? Is it all about this world? Or in the process of living in this world, is your priority still about Jesus? We have to die to self that we might gain eternal life while serving and following King Jesus. By doing so, Jesus said, my father will honor that individual. Jesus is our. It actually led him to the cross, but for the purpose that we might be saved. Today we have seen that the triumphal entry, and in the triumphal entry, what really stood out to me is that as the people sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as they did these things, as Jesus came in on that donkey's coat, the disciples were actually fulfilling the prophetic word without even knowing that they were participating in biblical prophecy being fulfilled. And I believe that as we go about our day-in-day life, when we're walking the life of faith, we can actually be doing the work of Jesus Christ without even intentionally knowing we're doing it. We're living out faith, and others are watching us as we live out faith. And then the hour, the importance of not only Jesus, he's talking about being that grain of wheat that died, that when he resurrected again, many have come to faith as a result of that. But just by looking at the numbers, they're containing one grain of wheat that becomes this greater number of 110 kernels that then can become 12,100 kernels that can become 146 million, whatever that number was. It's a big number. 
You never know when we share our faith. After we have finished what we have done, we've shared with an individual, that individual then takes what they have learned, shares with others. You never know the multiplication that can take place. And I believe that's an encouragement to us today. Remember, an adult needs to hear the gospel proclaimed at least seven times to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have our work cut out for us. Father, thank you so much for your word and for what you've taught us this day. Lord, help us not only to rehearse the wonderful story of your death, burial, and resurrection as we will be looking at in the remainder of John's gospel. But Lord, help us to be a people who are willing to hate, follow, and serve. Hate, Lord, the sinful condition of our own lives. And that hatred of our own lives brings us to saving faith through you, that we might serve and follow you, that we might be the witness that you've called us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let go.